Welcome back, guys. This is the podcast for cultural reformation brought to you by the Ezra Institute for Contemporary Christianity. You can find out more about us at ezrainstitute.ca. We are back again with another episode, and we're delighted to have EICC fellow Andrew Sandlin on the podcast again with us. Andrew will be familiar to, uh, to our regular listeners, and today we are getting into the question of biblical gender roles, complementarianism, egalitarianism, or a third way that Andrew's going to articulate. Andrew talks about what these movements have rightly and wrongly identified and focused on, and, and he emphasizes that you need to start with creation. You don't, you don't need to start with what does an ordinary home life look like. We need to start with the creation order itself. He talks about the Christian calling for men to lead their wives in grace and humility, and reminds us of A.W. Tozer's great line that we can't be backing into our convictions. So stick around. There's lots of great stuff in here. I hope you enjoy. Andrew Sandlin, it is uh, it is good to hear your voice again. Thank you so much, Ryan. I uh, came back from a long trip with uh, just a little sort of touch of the flu and cold, so if the listeners can endure just a little of my hacking, uh, and the Lord can help me, I think we'll do fine, but it's great to hear yours, and uh, just so great that CCL is so joined at the hip with the ICC and uh, Runner Academy, and of course the upcoming uh, Church and Culture Colloquium, uh, about which we'll say more, but just uh, appreciate you guys, Dr. Boot, everybody there so much, so this is great. Uh, it's okay, Dr. Boot's not here, you don't have to say that about him. <laughs> well, I've, I've tried to get my list of all of my uh, criticisms, but it would be it would be a short list. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. We'll see if we get to anything. No. Well, anyway, Andrew, thanks thanks a lot for uh, for being with us today. You mentioned the uh, you mentioned the colloquium on uh, on church and culture for pastors, and one of the th- one of the things that. Uh, so, sorry, I'll back up. You'll, you'll be here for that. We're really looking forward to having you here in April. And one of the things, one of the topics that you'll be speaking on is this, this question of complementarianism versus egalitarianism versus a third thing that, that you're proposing. And I just, uh, I was hoping to, to get into this question. This is a, a thing that seems to be in, in all the Christian news outlets, and it's it's becoming a big deal again. So I figured it was high time we we talked about it and established what is a uh, what is a reformational perspective on the creational reality of of sex and gender. Yes, you've really framed that well, Ryan. It's uh, the uh, this controversy within the church. As I should say, the conservative church mm. um, has been around since oh the mid seventies with uh, Paul King Jewett's book, Fuller Seminary Professor, Man is Male and Female. Um, kind of launched then. Uh, it really took off in the early nineties with um, a group uh, started by Wayne Grudem, John Piper, men like that, Council of Biblical Manhood and Womanhood. Right countering a group, uh, I think it's called Christians for Biblical Equality, um, that sort of had a lot of publications, that sort of had its day, and then it died down a little, and it seems the last five years or so, 
there's been a reignition. These things, as you know, ran off and go in cycles, but um, it certainly is rending the church today. Um, the biggest issue um, and the most, I guess, tactile on the ground, we would say, would be whether women can be preachers, uh, pastors. That's not the only issue, of course, but uh, in, within the church, that seems to be the most uh, visible one that is being discussed. And there are the controversies surrounding Beth Moore, for example, um, other evangelical women teachers are those that would perhaps like to be known as preachers and so on. And uh, there are, to be honest, very good, sincere people, godly Christian people on both sides of the issue. You have touched on something I think that is vital, and I'll be fleshing this out at one of the talks. I hope that all the pastors, pastoral staff listening would come. Um, one thing I'd mention, and I hope you don't mind my just sort of jumping in here to make a related point, I think it's vitally important for pastors and church leaders uh, not to be myopic and look at only the issues within the church, but look more broadly at the cultural issues that EICC uh, Ezra is addressing, because if we don't do that, we won't recognize the thinking, the worldviews that not just unbelievers, but believers are bringing into the church every Sunday. Mm -hmm. And if we assume that we can merely concentrate on new programs or even Bible teaching or preaching, necessary though it is, without any attention to broader cultural and worldview issues, then uh, <clears throat> we really won't be able to minister effectively in the church because Every church operates within a culture. Yes. I mean, churches uh, don't start on, on islands, uh, not in this sense at least. Uh, they're not on cultural islands. Right. They're influenced by the culture. So this is one of those issues. Interestingly, uh, I was thinking about uh, this conversation, Ryan. You and I and Dr. Boo were at a conference in the U.S. last year in which one of the speakers made an interesting comment. He said, feminism didn't uh, begin in the culture, it began in the church. Hmm. That actually was precisely wrong. Hmm. The church historically has actually been quite good on this issue of the relationship between men and women, and that's true of the Protestants and even Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox, and it's only within the last few decades that there has been this push from the culture to infiltrate the church. So this certainly is not a case of feminism being hatched in the church by Satan and the church exporting feminism out into the culture. That's not what happened. That is not what has happened at all. The culture has bought into <clears throat> feminist and falsely egalitarian premises, and these have infected the church. Again, going back to what I said earlier, this is why the church needs to understand the culture and a distinctive Christian worldview so it can address these things. And that brings me to um, another important distinction you made. Uh, there are basically two sides in this debate. There is the complementarian side, and almost everyone on both sides would consider my view complementarian, though I do have some quibbles with that, which I'll get to in a minute. This is the view that man and woman are equally created in God's image, and uh, equally valuable in the sight of God, 
but he has not called them to do the same things, certainly in the church. Um, this was once called the hierarchical view in the 70s. Mm. Uh, it is, to my knowledge, I believe it was John Piper and or Grudem that in about 1991 sort of coined this term, complementarian, understandably, right. that each of them, that they complement one another. That certainly is the picture one would get in reading Genesis 1 and 2. The egalitarian view, which to my way of thinking has been heavily influenced by modern feminism and so on, reads the Bible differently. Uh, there are certain texts in the Bible, in my view, that if taken in isolation, that is, in Christ there's neither male or female, for example, and statements about women praying and prophesying we read in the Pauline epistles, read in a certain way, one could hold that men and women uh, are not just equally created equally in God's image, but are called to do equal things in the church. And therefore women could be ordained as ministers um, and elders. Some churches may not use the language of elders, but pastors, and so on. <coughs> um, the biblical view is certainly much closer to what has been called the complementarian view, but the reason I uh, would like to lay out a third option, the reformational view, is that we have to begin with the creation-fall-redemption paradigm, and both sides often don't do that. Now, some do, but some don't. For example, um, many complementarians will just leap right into the Pauline text about how the church is to be ordered. Now, of course, those are vital texts in the debate, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we have to take account of them. But um, I'm committed, and uh, as Ezra is, to the sort of broad reformational approach of uh, some of our forebears like Kuiper and Duivird and uh, Van Til and uh, there are various others in that tradition, which stress, who stress, that everything starts with understanding the creative order. And then, of course, sin enters in the Garden of Eden, and that disrupts the order. It doesn't destroy it, but it disrupts it. And the role of the gospel is to restore and enhance that creational order and creational norms. Now, if that's the case, that puts a slightly different spin on things. That means we don't look first at what Paul said, though we certainly must look at what Paul said. But we first try to understand what man and woman are as they are created the, in the image of God and from the hand of God. I think that when we do that, we find that the male is called to be, in uh, many situations, God's representative in the earth. And he and the female, in this case not just the female, uh, but the wife, the woman, is called to assist him as his partner. That's a good biblical term. Sadly, partner today is used to refer to all sorts of deviant sexual things, but I'm not using it in that mean. I mean, she is standing by his side, a help, a suitable help next to him, taken right from his side to help him in his main task on the earth, which is uh, the cultural mandate. Yeah, right. Uh, now this, I'll say one more thing. I've been talking a long time. I should let you get a question in here, Ryan. But one more thing. There's another reason we need to start with creation, and that is we don't begin, or let me back up. We don't understand what man and woman's role should be in the church 
if we don't first understand what their role is in God's creational plan. But if our view is that everything must first of all be seen from the perspective of within the church, we won't see the broader sweep of things. In other words, our view of what man and woman should be and do in the church is based on what man and woman should be and do in the world, in the culture. I think both sides, both egalitarian and complementarian, often don't understand that. They see only the church issue first and don't recognize that how we will come out of the church issue is going to be shaped by how we view creation. Right. You know, that's a, I think that's a valuable point. Um, and you meant like the Apostle Paul himself, he mentions like going back to the to creation to uh, to look at this issue consider it it's not a it's not a matter of sort of propriety in church worship in first in the first century that's right um but uh, and then it, you mentioned um you know some of the uh, some of the more high profile cases like uh, like Beth Moore or the uh, the call for for women to be ordained as ministers um but what what does this reformational view on on gender we got to find a shorter name for this by the way but yeah. uh what is a reformational view on gender and sex uh how does that obtain outside the church in the culture what uh, what would it say about a woman running for president or even a a stay-at-home dad and a working mom yes those are very good questions so we can't answer that question well if we don't understand the creational norms of male and female. So this is where um, egalitarian modernity is quite deviant. But we must also say that traditional forms of male-female relationships in tribalistic societies, and even more recently, um, also fail. So those tend to be closer to God's creational pattern. In the Bible, we find out that woman was created to come along man's side and to be his helper in this task of stewarding the earth for God's glory. Now, <clears throat> there is something of a hierarchy there, no question about it. Man was not created to help woman. Woman was created to help man. The egalitarian angle, the legitimate egalitarian angle, is this commission is given to both of them. Uh, Genesis is quite clear. He created, he just he created Adam. He called them. So there is this covenantal union that both of them are called, standing side by side to fulfill this particular role in exercising dominion. Mm -hmm. As we read the word, so when we talk about the issue of a, a female prime minister or president, this doesn't seem to be something that would have been desired in the scriptures, certainly not in Old Covenant Israel or in the New Testament, uh, but it is something that God allowed at times, in fact, in times of apostasy, pushed for, mm -hmm. have examples in the Old Testament of the fact that women are ruling is a, is a rebuke to men who will be faithless. Right. We remember explicitly what Deborah said, the Judge Deborah to Barak. She said, yes, he begged her to lead Israel in a time of apostasy. And he says, well, she says, well, I'll do that. But people will say that the woman got the glory. And the implication there is that 
the man should be <clears throat> getting the glory, and it would be he would be robbed of that, which should rightfully be his. Right. Now, having said that, Ryan, I must that is a criticism what I've just given the last few minutes of a modern, outside the church, uh, egalitarian view. But I must also criticize some of the traditional views, which is that essentially, uh, if a woman is working outside the home, which, by the way, is not an ideal case, particularly with young children, I think the New Testament is quite clear about that, mm-hmm. or that a woman could never be involved in some business or in some teaching or in other roles, that equally is false. Uh, for one thing, if we look at the ideal woman of Proverbs 31, she's, of course, working a good, she's actually the good creational wife. She's working side by side with her husband, but not with him all day. Mm-hmm. She's out doing things for the home, outside the home. Yeah. Uh, so the notion that um, women that women could never be involved in business, uh, even wives, uh, the the Bible itself would not articulate that. The notion that, and I'm being a little crass here, that the only responsibility of women is to be barefoot and pregnant. I hope nobody holds that view. That's not the Christian view. Though it is true, clearly the woman's principal responsibility is her domestic duty in the home with her children. Paul makes that quite clear. But I would suggest that that's a derivation from the from the creation account itself. The Bible says that, of course, the man and the woman are to produce children, but she bears children. Mm-hmm. And uh, as Adam says, she's the mother of all living, so that is a unique calling. Is that her only calling? Well, of course not. So in saying that, um, I'm just wanting to make the point that the the creational view cuts across and criticizes both egalitarianism as well as some forms of traditional um, hierarchy that both do not fit into God's creational pattern. There will always be questions around the edges. Um, I'm One thing that I believe the Bible would strongly oppose is women uh, in combat. I think that's barbaric. Right. Um, the question is whether women could ever be in the armed forces is a little different. What you know, There might be a role for women far beyond, beyond the lines doing clerical work here and there. I don't, most of us would recognize that's necessary. Mm-hmm. Women as nurses and in other fields. Um, my youngest daughter is a is a uh, sheriff's deputy. I believe that's wholly legitimate, and I believe that wholly legitimate before she became a deputy. I think uh, uh, in some cases women can do a better job at certain aspects of peace work, police work, uh, hostage negotiations, dealing with women prisoners. Uh, domestic issues, men, of course, are better at other things. And that really is the creational approach, and this is why there is truth in complementarianism, uh, which is that uh, when people ask, are men superior to women or are women superior to men, my answer is yes. (laughs) The fact is men are superior in some things and inferior in others, and women are superior in some things and inferior in others. So the issue is not um, a sort of one-size-fit-all egalitarianism, but a recognition that each has his or her own role, and in some cases women are superior, and in some cases they're inferior, and the same is true with men. (coughs) That, in my view, is the reformational approach, 
and um, that view recognizes these these so-called gender. It's not a word I like, Ryan, because um, sure. it's so These sexual distinctions that are rooted in creation. They're not social constructions. They're rooted in creation. And uh, the man who understands the role of the woman, particularly his wife, as coming out of his very side, is that someone wisely said, God did not take her out of his head so that she would dominate him, nor did he take uh, her out of his legs or feet so as though he could walk on her, but from his very side. So they could be joined together, fulfilling this uh, this calling. So uh, that doesn't address a number of the biblical texts, which I think I'll get to in my talk. But that kind of answers wh- why things are the way they are and what they should be, basically, outside the church and the culture. Right. No, that's uh, that's helpful. That's uh, it's a much more nuanced view, and I think a much more uh, more helpful view than some of the uh, some of the sort of big tent tribes that you uh, that you tend to see uh, showing up recently. Yeah, you made a good point there. I think uh, <clears throat> E.W. Tozer once made a valuable point. I, when I early 20s, I read this. I'll never forget it. He says, beware of always backing into your convictions. Now, what he means by that is don't be a reactionary. Hmm. You know, we see the, the egalitarianism in the culture, and we say, well, the most biblical position will be the one farthest away from that in which uh, women are not doing much of anything except, you know, just sort of staying home and eating bonbons on the couch. Of course, I'm being facetious, but nobody would say that. But but that isn't true, that whole approach. We shouldn't be backing into our convictions. We should be marching into them boldly and saying that the woman should be not man's head, the Bible says the opposite, but in many ways close to his heart and joining him in this uh, great task of, of godly dominion and stewardship so that she's not dominating him and he's not walking on her, but they're walking together, heirs together of the grace of life and that beautiful language that Peter gave. So, mm-hmm. yeah, we need to avoid the tribes and we need to be more, we need to be more nuanced uh, than we have been often. Now, Andrew, you've, uh, you started out... Uh, laying out some uh, some high profile examples in the church we moved on to the creational realm the the rest of the world outside the church and the home um but again let's uh, let's hop back to the contemporary church you meant you mentioned that this issue uh came up uh, in like late 80s early 90s uh, that uh, that's when complementarianism was termed yes um and then now, more recently, you've got uh, you've got the risk of like major denominational splits over this issue. Um, why why do you think that this issue is becoming a big deal now again? Yeah, um, I think. Uh, and here I, home, I'm not being tendentious, but. Another topic I'm going to address at the colloquium is cultural Marxism. I think the the egalitarian um, premise of cultural Marxism to destroy all hierarchies, and that alone is true justice. Mm. That notion, which again did not begin in the church, it began in the culture, and therefore it's influenced the church, is behind uh, this even the last five to eight years. I think in the U.S., the Obama presidency, 
and um, I think the particularly today the uh, sort of uh, left wing madness at uh, Donald Trump's presidency and uh, the sort of screeching mm-hmm. fanatical opposition as though he were sort of a, a right wing baboon you know, pounding people, which he certainly is not, whether you like him or not, he's certainly not that. Right. Um, I think that is driving an agenda within the church. Uh, I will acknowledge that uh, the church in the last 40 and 50 years, conservative church, has not stressed strong male leadership, uh, has tended to appeal to women, particularly the evangelical church. I think it's music, it's worship, it's preaching has tended to um, be more um, feminized. Mm-hmm. I, would add it's, uh, I would add a lot of its publishing to that list. Yes, you, it's right. That's exactly right, Ryan. I know that's a field that you're heavily involved in. It's sort of your bread and butter, and um, you would see that firsthand. But now that you mention it, I agree with that. Um, I was at a large Christian bookstore. There aren't many of those left these days. But right recently, and just, again, astounded by the fact that I would say I'm fairly well read and uh, scanned the titles. About 70% of them, maybe even 80%, were, it seems, clearly designed to be consumed primarily by women. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, small section for men, you know, how to be the good man and all that, but mostly that's not the case. And I think in some ways that's just a market-driven phenomenon. Why? Because... Uh, let's face it, if studies were done, you'd find that most evangelical churches are uh, filled by a, at least a small minority, in some cases a large majority, a large minority of, I mean a large majority of women. Right, yeah. Uh, so it, shouldn't, it should not come as a surprise to us that in a culture that is demanding an egalitarian approach, when the evangelical church already does have a number of women, they would start pressing, well, the men aren't taking the lead, so we should. Uh, while I am sympathetic to that impetus, some are well-meaning. Uh, not all women who want to be leaders in the church are intentionally in rebellion. Uh, it's just that men won't step up. That doesn't mean that the notion of women ruling in the church, and I think the Bible clearly draws the line there, and I believe that uh, preaching as exegeting the word is an example in the Bible of ruling, and thus would forbid women in that role. Um, <clears throat> I think that's quite clear. I'm not prepared to go, and I don't think the Bible is prepared to go, uh, as some do, that women can sort of never speak in the church. When Paul says, I don't permit a woman to speak, we have to understand he has just said <laughs> women prayed and prophesied in the early church, so certainly there's they're speaking in some way, and of course the point is to reconcile those. But for me, the issue, it seems, that what Paul is saying in those texts, and this is just a quick summary, Ryan, what he's forbidding there is women speaking, um, they're operating in a way that they're exercising authority. That's the issue. They're not exercising authority over men. Right. Um, and praying and prophesying prophesying, I believe, a special gift at that time, no longer today, was not. Uh, neither one of those, praying or prophesying, was exercising authority over men. Executing the word and applying the word in that context would have done that. 
and that's why I don't believe that women can be elders. Can they be involved in other roles in the church? You bet. Right. Many other roles, and they should be. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, and I want to st- stress this again for those, and I hope many of you pastors listening or pastoral staff will come. This isn't just because, oh, Paul said this text, and I'm wiping my hands, and that's good enough for me. Well, it should be. One text is enough. But <laughs> Paul is operating within a knowledge of the creational order, and he says so. That's right. He says in one place, as you well know, man, uh, the male uh, was first formed, and then the female, the man, then the woman. And then, of course, there's the deception at the fall, which we can get into later. But that's not the first issue for Paul. The first issue for Paul is the creation order. And uh, that has nothing to do with sin. You know, some egalitarians will say that um, the woman is subordinate to the man because of sin. And then, of course, when we're redeemed, then women can be restored again to their role of pastoring a church or preaching. But that's not Paul's argument at all. And by the way, his argument is not based on some sort of special revelation he got. It's based on his understanding of the creation order before there was any sin. Before there was any sin, a woman's calling is to assist the man. Man was not created to help the woman. Woman was created to help the man working together. But the woman does not have a calling to exercise covenantal authority over the man. And that's really the issue that comes down to uh, pastoring and women's ordination. Right. You mentioned something just there that uh, wasn't in my notes, but it's really valuable, I think, to uh, to say more about is... Paul Paul's line that it was not the man who was deceived, but woman was deceived. Yeah. Uh, is this help? Just help us exegete this. Uh, being a man as you are and qualified to handle the text, um, is is yeah. this a yeah, is this a comment? I think some complementarians have wrongly given the idea that the point there is, you know women aren't as theologically astute as men, and therefore you know, they could be more easily deceived. But that's not Paul's point at all. Right. Yeah. Um, Paul's, Paul's point is that man has been given, the male is given the responsibility. God's original revelation is given to him. And because the man did not fulfill his obligation, we don't know exactly how what happened happened in Eden, or where Adam was. He could have been standing right there when he was deceived. But the point is, the man was not responsible as he should have been, and therefore he allowed the woman to be deceived. <clears throat> so I think the point that Paul is making there is that just as in creation, the man should always be there. He should always be there side by side with the woman, loving, leading, guiding, getting her input, getting her counsel for sure but constantly working together with her. And, of course, because Satan, knowing his, um, knowing how to subvert God's order, um, did exactly that. This is why I believe he came to Eve first. It's not clear that Eve, of course, heard the original commands. They were given to Adam, and he, no, no doubt, conveyed them to her. Mm-hmm. So the point is of this text is not, well, and this was an Enlightenment notion, it's really just bizarre that, you know, women are inherently, you know, emotional and aren't very smart. Right. A lot of the Enlightenment philosophers, males, they were people who used the term misogynist. There are, few, there, are, <clears throat> there are few people more misogynist in Western 
history than, than uh, Enlightenment philosophers. I mean, Nietzsche was oh, not so much Enlightenment existential, but even going back to Kant, it's such a low view of women. That's mm-hmm. not the point Paul's making. His point is that because the man wasn't taking the responsibility that he should have, the woman, therefore, was easily deceived because the man had failed. It's not that the woman is somehow inherently uh, given to deception, given to being deceived, because, frankly, men are easily deceived, too, and there are some smart women. Mm-hmm. The point mm-hmm. is that the man had failed. And so what essentially what Paul is saying there is that this is why, in the church, women should not be the ones that are teaching and leading and making the authoritative ruling decisions. The problem is Eve, back in Eden, made an authoritative ruling. She made an authoritative ruling with Adam either there or not there. And Paul says that's contra the creational order. Man should be the one. The male should be the one doing the ruling. And that's why a woman should not rule in the church. Right. Right. Now, Andrew, um, all, all this being said, what, what is at stake uh, for the church, for Christianity in the West, if we neglect a clear understanding of biblical masculinity and femininity? Yeah, you won't be surprised by this answer, <clears throat> Ryan. I think, and this is where I think some of my complementarian brothers and sisters may not see the depth of the issue. Mm-hmm. They see the depth of the issue as well. We will have a violation of the word and that women will be ordained in preaching. Uh, well, that's true. I don't mm-hmm. deny that in any way, but I think it's much deeper and broader than that. Mm-hmm. If we allow this to happen, we will have eventually the subversion of the created order in the church. So see, this is a, this is an ontological and cultural issue and not fundamentally an ecclesiastical issue. That is, the church itself will subvert the creational order. And I think that's part of what Paul is hinting at there. Paul's not just saying, well, here are my rules for the church, and here's what you need to be doing. He certainly is doing that. But by invoking the creation, he's saying there's something deeper at stake here. And that is the the created order itself is being subverted within the very, as we could say, the new covenant temple of God. So... The notion that, well, I don't want women up there preaching the Bible, and that's just, I'm drawing the line at that, that's really bad. Right. Yes, I agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But if we see the this um, whole complementarian, egalitarian issue as fundamentally about whether women can preach and teach the Bible, that's only one aspect of what actually is a much more subversive notion, and that is the erosion of the distinction between man and woman and the inversion of the created order. In that way, the church becomes extremely worldly, and the church itself loses its contact with the creation order. So it's not just a case of losing the gospel, it's a case of losing the the cosmic ontology. Now, I know that that's probably a foreign idea, maybe, to many listeners who have read the complementarian literature, much of which is fine, but it doesn't understand the depths of what's going on, and that's one reason, Ryan, that I call this approach reformational. It's not just about, you know, the specific issue of whether women can be ordained. It's about what is the nature of creation as recognized in the church. That's what's an issue. Right. Andrew, that being said, um, for those of us who are are conservative and who, for lack of a better term, would would identify as complementarian, uh, 
you've uh, you've kind of just uh, just blown the lid off of a lot of shallow, short-sighted complementarianism. What uh, what should we be reading or watching or looking at to uh, to dig deeper into this? Oh boy, you tee that up for me very well, Ryan. Um, though you may not have intended it, I would say to my dear uh, brothers and sisters in Canada, get resources from, of course, the Ezra Institute, which really understands these deep and broad worldview issues. Um, I don't know of another organization. I'm not saying there aren't specific churches, but no other organization in Canada like this. So they need to be tapping into the website and getting books by Dr. Boot and so on. Um, I would say also if in the U.S., some of you are listening to this, please check out the stuff from CCL. I hope it's not too self-serving, but go to ChristianCulture.com. But beyond that, Perfect. you want nope, to go that's good. More. That's Christian What's Culture. That? I'm just going to say it again. I appreciate that. ChristianCulture.com. Yes, ChristianCulture.com. But I would say beyond that, um, I would have them investigate this entire, what I call the reformational viewpoint. I should probably have a couple minutes for me to explain that, Ryan. Go for it. Yeah, I don't mean by that merely the Protestant Reformation, though I'm fully committed to that, as you are and the Institute is. By reformational, I mean the way of worldview thinking that most would uh, acknowledge began with Abraham Kuyper, Gruen van Prinster uh, in Holland, and then with uh, the most towering Christian philosopher of all, Hermann Duyverd. Uh, the, who really, actually, when I say philosopher, he wrote philosophy, actually was a legal scholar. Hmm. Um, and those in that, uh, in that school, uh, the number of the books are available there at the, <coughs> there for, for EICC, and you can visit them. But the, this whole way of uh, reformational thinking is essentially worldview thinking. Uh, and at the base of it is the notion that it's not enough simply to trust in Christ, which is vital, not enough even to read and know the Bible theologically. That, too, is necessary. These must be understood within a broad context of an entire Christian way of thinking, which we call a worldview. So in many ways, um, Kuyper, Dewey Beard, and others were sort of the original Christian worldviewists, if I may coin that term. Um, not that they got everything right, None of us do, but they really were among the first to understand that this is not a battle of one doctrine versus another doctrine. It's a battle of an entire way of thinking versus another entire way of thinking. So what the Ezra Institute and CCL are trying to do is to revive and to um, uh, create and bring back a, 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 an entirely Christian way of looking at the world. So... This aspect of male-female relationships is just one aspect of a larger Christian and creational worldview. It's not possible to grab this and say, well, I'm going to read all the Bible texts on this and make up my mind. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, we actually have to understand what this is in the large scheme of how we view what God is doing in the world. And our Christian philosophy, which also is not identical to worldview, though we can get into that uh, sometime later at uh, the colloquium. So... When I say reformational, that's what I mean. It stands within the Protestant Reformation, but it is a stream, a very prominent stream, uh, a very robust, thoughtful, intellectual, engaging, aggressive um, stream within the Protestant Reformation. 
And uh, that's what ECC is all about, CCL is all about, and other good organizations. And I'm not trying to slight anybody else, but that's what we that's what we're all about. That's right. So when you come to when you come to the colloquium, it, we're going to have a number of very important topics, but they'll all be communicated uh, from this reformational perspective. So to say it, and I think uh, I'm sure that Dr. Bujo said it very well, and you have in many cases, Ryan. So. When you come to the colloquium, when you come to the Runner Academy, the two-week Runner Academy in July, when you come even to the World Leadership Camp, the other events, you're not just getting truth and training on selected topics. You're getting uh, training and exposure, training and exposure to selected topics within a particular robust Christianly way of thinking. That's what makes Ezra um, and the colloquium unique. Terrific. That's really well said. Thanks, Andrew. Well, it, uh, it's been a real pleasure to have you. I appreciate you uh, soldiering through and playing through the pain of your, uh, your sore throat here today. Uh, this, uh, this colloquium, we've been on about it a few times. That's for uh, pastors and ministry leaders. That's happening April 13th to 17th, 2020, here at the Ezra Institute, Institute in Grimsby. Andrew, we're uh, we're looking forward to having you with us here again. Going to be speaking on uh, on this issue of complementarianism, egalitarianism, etc., reformational. Again, we we got it. We got to find a good term for this uh, this third option yeah. that you've articulated. Uh, and you'll also be speaking on cultural Marxism. Yes, and also a prayer, the prayer worldview, and also I think on the topic, what is worldview? I've kind of discussed that. I believe on the first day, I'll be calling Dr. Booth and one of his talks or someone else and uh, talking about what his worldviews. Yes, I'll also be speaking four times and have plenty of time for interaction with all the pastors, church leaders, delegates there. So, And of course, Ryan, seeing you, my dear friend, and your dear wives and children. So I'm, I'm eager to see you. We're looking forward to it. Can't wait. Thank you for listening. Feel free to share the material with friends, but do not charge for or alter it in any way without the written consent of the EICC. Thanks again.